What is up? Welcome to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and this podcast covers lifestyle, manifestation, travel, and entrepreneurship. Today's guest is Lexi Stone, and Lexi was my former roommate before I moved to Australia. So if you're a first-time listener, I moved to Australia back in August, and the whole year before I moved, I was in Florida, and I lived with Lexi. So Lexi and I have a conversation today all around taking big leaps of faith, because after I moved to Australia, I left my corporate American job, I left a very cushy lifestyle, I had to start over in terms of how I was going to make money. It was pretty tough. Recently, Lexi did the same exact thing and left a very comfortable job to pursue dance. Now, a lot of people would say, again, why would you leave a comfy job to pursue dance? Isn't that a side hustle? Isn't that a hobby? Shouldn't you just do that in your free time on the weekends? That's a lot of what I heard about my podcast and my yoga business. These are things you will hear when you do anything that's out of the norm. So Lexi and I discuss taking these big leaps of faith, the mental blocks we had to overcome, the opinions that you completely have to shut out, and the steps you really need to get in place before you take those leaps of faith. One of the interesting things that Lexi recently told me is that her dance studio went completely online, obviously because of coronavirus, and they were struggling to see how they were going to not only retain new members, but acquire new ones. And Lexi was one of the only employees that they brought back because of her background with sales and marketing. This is huge because a lot of people think if you leave your corporate job, all those skills that you built up are just completely thrown away and you'll never use them again. That could not be further from the truth. Personally, everything I learned in my last job, I'm doing right now. I'm using the same software systems. I'm using the same organizational skills. I'm using the same sales messaging. Like every single thing I learned at my job, I am 100% applying to my yoga and podcast business, which obviously had nothing to do with sales. And then Lexi's sales and marketing position is helping her now become the main person that is helping transition her dance studio online. So that is a major, major lesson I wanted to share is don't be scared to quit something just because of the skills that you've had at last jobs that actually could be your superpower and what gets you to your next role. So Lexi and I have a lot of discussions around this. And one of the things we talked about that I wanted to talk about in my little Australia updates section is mental blocks. So I usually do Australia updates in terms of, you know, what I'm doing, how the week's going, et cetera. But there's just like really nothing to update you on because I'm just in my rental space living here and not really doing a lot except working on my yoga and podcast business. I mean, I am doing a lot. That's what I'm working on. But I mean, there's nothing to report back in terms of things I'm exploring or seeing or any of that stuff. But something that keeps coming up is mental blocks, especially around money. So as I'm kicking off all these different business ventures, especially with yoga, I'm doing group classes, I'm doing private meditations, I'm thinking of a meditation virtual retreat, I'm going to do workshops, I want to do journaling sessions, so many fun things. But obviously, when I want to monetize that, this whole mental block with money comes up. There's things that come up around well, why would you charge that? Or why would you not charge that? How do you decide what's free versus not? How do you decide what should be donation-based versus not? And one of the biggest things that I could recommend is journaling. Journaling has not only changed my life, but really, really completely given me a different perspective on how I think about myself. And it comes out on paper whenever I journal. A lot of people ask me, well, what do you journal about? Like, is it just your diary? 
No, there's a lot of different things you can journal about. There are gratitude lists. You could write out your feelings. You could reframe your negative thoughts. You could write affirmations. You could write down to-do lists. You could write down things that you accomplished that day. There are so many different ways to journal, but one that is really working for me right now is reframing negative thoughts. So this is a little tip I wanted to give you guys in the beginning of this episode because I know there's a lot of negativity going on right now. There's a lot of uncertainty, anxiety, sadness, and we're all kind of thinking, how is this going to recover? How are we going to rebuild and move forward and be resilient? And I think this exercise might help you. So that's why I want to share. The first thing you do is identify the negative thought that you're having. And I'll use myself as the example. My thought that I'm having a lot is that I'm not experienced enough or qualified enough to be teaching yoga online. Now, I have to look for evidence of why that's not true. So this is how you do the reframing is pretend you're literally building a case in court and you have to bring evidence to the court and show them why that thought is not true. So for example, I have been practicing yoga for seven plus years. That's a pretty long time. I know what the moves are. I know what the poses are. Do I know everything back, center, left, right? No. I mean, there's always something to learn. That's why people study yoga their whole lives. But I know pretty much the foundational things that I would need to know. The second thing is I actually invested in a yoga teacher certification. I am a certified yoga instructor. I went to Bali for an entire month with very intense training. We trained six out of seven days a week, morning till night. We woke up at 6 a.m., went to bed around 10, and it was yoga 24-7. So that immediately proves that the evidence that I am not qualified enough is not true. When you hear the word qualified, you're usually looking for something to show that you have experience or a certification or you know what you're talking about. So those examples I just gave of my personal practice and actually getting a certification prove that that thought that I'm not qualified is not true. So I want you to take a second and think about anything negative you're thinking right now, whether that is I'm not experienced enough to publish that ebook or no one's going to buy my course because no one really listens to what I have to say, or I don't know, I can't charge that because I'm just starting out. Start to build evidence to prove that that is not true and really get your FBI investigator hat on and look for every single reason to prove that it's not true. And this is psychologically proven because there is something in our brain called the reticular activating system that will start looking for beliefs to validate whatever thought we have. So if you think that you are not a good yoga teacher, And then you start looking for evidence to support that. Like, yeah, of course I'm not a good yoga teacher. I can't even do a handstand. I've never been paid to do a class. No one's ever asked me to come teach at their company. Then yeah, your brain will just go down that pathway. But if you intentionally and actively start looking for those positive thoughts, then your brain will go that way. I think it's physically impossible for your brain to hold a negative and positive thought at the same exact time, like emotion wise. So if you start switching to that positivity lane, like literally pretend you're in a car and you're just swerving into the positive lane, your brain will go down that pathway, especially when you are journaling it out because everything is just being transmitted and it's like a frenzy. Then you're just like, oh my gosh, now I want to prove that this is not true. Like I want to shut those negative thoughts down. So I really hope that you guys try it out. Let me know if you do. You can DM me either at Chelsea Rife or non-expert opinion pod and let me know if that exercise works for you. Speaking of thoughts and mental work and a lot of different shifts that you have to go through before you make a big leap of faith, that is what Lexi and I talk about. So let's dive into this episode. 
So a lot of listeners, I don't think realize that before I moved to Australia, I actually had to move home to Florida to save for a year. And I was freaking out because I was going to live in my parents' house. I was going to be commuting over an hour and a half to work every day. And then my friend Lexi had actually moved randomly right in front of my new office in the exact apartment complex directly across the street and opened up a spot for me to live with her. So that was my roommate last year. And now she's on the show. Welcome to the show, Lexi. Hey, Charles. This is wild because you were my roommate all last year. I lived with you, your now (laughs) husband and two cats. The best part. We had quite a wild ride because I, okay. When you told me you had a space in your house to potentially live with you, my first thought was I cannot live with a couple and I 100% cannot live with two cats. And somehow (laughs) we ended up being roommates for the entire year. I know. And they talk about you all the time. They definitely miss you the most. (laughs) I think Clee. Miss Cleo. Yeah. <laughs> the Lexi chubby one. The cats. Lexi yeah. is a crazy that's, that's cat lady. <laughs> crazy cat lady. And she offered me this spot to live with her. And it was actually such a blessing because she was right across the street from my work. And when I say across the street, you guys, I mean literally walking distance could basically see my office from her apartment complex. So I did not have to drive. I never spent money on gas. We became very in sync with our routines. We had morning routines, <laughs> nighttime routines. I learned how to cook. If anyone yep. has seen my Instagram stories lately, Lexi taught me how to cook. And so we just learned so much from each other. And recently, Lexi actually took a big leap of faith, which is why we're talking today, because we both have had such major life changes in the last year. But Lexi, throw in an engagement, a marriage, a new house, and a ton <laughs> of other changes. <laughs> You've had a ton going on. So I want to get into that. Before we dive into what you're doing now, I want to know a little bit about you growing up and what your childhood was like. Yeah. So I grew up not too far from, well, we now live in Winter Park and that's where Chelsea lived with us. Um, But I grew up in Ormond Beach, which is only about an hour north. I'm one of five kids, big Italian family, and I'm the exact middle. Growing up was amazing. We had the best. I mean, I wish I could say I had this troubled childhood to make my life a little more interesting, but I really didn't. I had um, always someone to play with. I always had my parents pushing me to, you know, be better, do great. Um, So I really can't, I really can't complain. I mean, it was just, it was awesome. And we had a really good time. (laughs) And then you ended up at Florida State. Was that because of any specific reason or just where friends were going? How did you end up there? Yeah. So I fell in love with Florida state when I was, so I I mean, I I'm pretty sure if you don't know who I am, um, this is like all my friends know that I've been a dancer my entire life. And, um, I remember going up to FSU because one of my dance teachers was a graduate from there. And we went for, I think a summer intensive and, or or auditions for a summer intensive. And there was, um, all these amazing guest artists. It was a really awesome opportunity to go there. Um, and I kind of fell in love with the campus. Like right when I got there, I loved the, the big oak trees and the rolling hills. And it felt just like I was out of Florida, but I was still close enough to get home, you know, for Christmas or Easter and drive. So, um, I fell in love when I went 
when I went to Florida State that trip and I really specifically wanted to be a dance major. But a lot of things happened and that didn't work out. And I mean, I ended up being in hospitality, which led to all this other stuff that we can get into. But yeah, that's kind of where my love initially started. And when you got to Florida State, was the goal to end up being a dancer after, even though you couldn't major in it? Or were you like, that that dream is over? Um, so my mom, and I don't know if you know this, Charles, my mom got really sick my senior year of, of high school. My mom had a brain tumor the size a little bit bigger than a golf ball, like right in the center of her forehead. And I remember specifically, um, my older brother and sister were already away and I was kind of taking care of my dad and my two younger sisters, driving them to wherever they needed to go. I kind of felt like I had to act as my mom, my senior year. And I got really like burnt out. I, I was, you know, such an overachiever student. I was always involved in every kind of student council, any kind of, you know, club. And then I also was a cheerleader and a dancer on top of that. And I missed the auditions to become a dance major because it was when my mom was sick. So I couldn't go. And my mom felt so bad about it because she knows how much I wanted to be a dance major and how I wanted to do education and dance. And that's like, cause I always loved teaching. Um, And my mom felt so bad. So she started looking into the dance team as an alternative. And that's when I auditioned later that spring, because it all happened in the fall later that spring for the dance team, which turned out to be a whole different story than what I really thought I was getting into. I ended up going up to Florida State and let's be clear. I was a classical dancer. So I'm talking like Martha Graham and just classical ballet. I would spend my summers at the Orlando ballet. I did Miami ballet. I auditioned to do the summer up in New York. I didn't end up going because I stayed more local, but I was obsessed with classical dance, which is so different from the type of dance you see on the internet. The, you know, um, a, what would how would you say it uh, competition routines and all the tricks and stuff like that so uh, auditioning for this type of team was so different for me and really outside of my comfort zone so i ended up making it but during that audition process this is the first time this has ever happened to me in my entire life i actually forgot two eight counts of the routine during the auditions and luckily i had been going to some of the intensives that the coach had put on before prior so she knew who i was and she knew i had the technique and was able to do what needed to be done to make the team um but she kind of turned, she turned to me right after the audition and said, basically, because I know you and I know you are a great dancer, I'm going to let you know that we're going to put you through this round, but you have to um, make sure you remember the routine. So I kind of, by luck, and because we had gone and met her before, made the team. And the next time around, I made sure to remember the routine. But I'm telling you that night that happened, I stayed up all night practicing the routine and it felt that was the first time I've ever truly felt anxiety. And that anxiety carried with me throughout the entire rest of that year. And in, and I didn't even realize it at the time, but it carried with me all the way through into my twenties and even a little bit now, but not nearly as much. I just have this problem where I feel like I'm about to perform and I 
I feel like I'm going to forget it. I think that was the first like really traumatic experience. It, it doesn't sound traumatic, but it was as a dancer and someone who was so confident going in. Um, it really rocked my first year. And I, I think my first year of college was probably the hardest year um, because of the dance team. I just, I mean, it's an amazing team and it was an, it was an amazing experience. It just wasn't for me. I truly just felt so out of place and felt like I should have been doing it should have been a dance major the entire time. Um, but it kind of shaped me for who I am now. I think it, everything happens for a reason and I'm not sitting here and, you know, obviously going to sulk about it, but it definitely impacted my entire college experience. And that team specifically to give people context, this is at FSU. There's a dance team that is called the golden girls, right? Yes. Yes. And the Golden Girls, I feel like from an outsider perspective, background, you guys, Lexi and I obviously went to college together, but background, like outsider perspective is the Golden Girls was like the cream of the crop type of girls at FSU. It was like, oh, you're a Golden Girl? Like it was almost totally different than being a cheerleader or the president of a fraternity or a sorority. It was like this almost status elevation that I remember being almost envious of the golden girls. Like everyone wanted to be a golden girl. People wanted to dress up as golden girls for Halloween. People would be like, Oh my gosh, like that's a golden girl. Or yeah, this, this golden girl walked in. It was just this like whole thing that you see in the movies of like, Oh my God, there they are. And I'm wondering, did you feel any of that pressure in college to like keep up with the, you know, quote unquote status of being a golden girl? You know, it's funny hearing that from an outsider's perspective and living it is completely different. I feel, yes, we did have, um, you know, these pressures where I couldn't even dye my hair without asking the coach. I couldn't, um, you know, think of even gaining an ounce of weight unless, you know, they told me to, I had, to, we had to, you know, make sure our skin was nice and tanned and everything. It, it it was a lot. And I think coming from a studio that never put a lot of emphasis on physical appearance. I mean, obviously they wanted us to be healthy and most of us worked. We were dancing, you know, X amount of hours a week. Um, but to this, to this structured and rigid, um, way of life where I really couldn't do anything without having to ask felt so bizarre. And I definitely think it impacted, you know, the way I thought of myself and it really impacted my self-esteem. Um, and I, looking back, I, I wish it didn't, but you know, you're 18 years old, you're so impressionable. And, um, I mean, I totally get it. They want their girls to look a certain way. They want everyone to, you know, um, have a cer certain image be, you know, physically and, um, you know, emotionally ready to handle that type of stress. But at 18, I don't know if anyone really, really is. And I know for a fact it's impacted more people than just myself. Um, but it, it does give you a lot of pressure. Um, I didn't realize we were that cool until you told me, but um glad to hear it. At least, you know, you're a fan. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, it was definitely like, I feel like, have you watched the show about the Dallas Cowgirls? I forget what it was called, the but Dallas it was almost Cowboy like, cheerleaders. <laughs> yeah, yes. making the team and or something like that. Yes, exactly. And I feel like that is in a way what they were grooming you guys to be not necessarily NFL cheerleaders, but I, I know some people did that after college, but it felt when you watch that show and what you're telling me, those experiences sound similar. Like you have to have a certain hairstyle. You need to have this glam look. 
you need to come this way and act this way. And I can imagine that maybe your viewpoint of dance changed or did you still love dance and still have that passion that you had prior to joining the team? No, dance became a chore. I remember 6am practices. Um, one time my alarm clock didn't go off and I almost didn't make the practice. And because of that, I almost got kicked off the team. So imagine you're a freshman, uh, you're a freshman summer seat. You probably went out the night before. Um, you know, you're tired. You have a 6 a.m. You miss your alarm. And then all of a sudden, everything that you worked so hard for all these years is just gone. Um, luckily, that didn't happen. And luckily, it just, you know, all worked out. But from then, I just developed so much anxiety from, you know, from that experience. And obviously, from the auditions, it just felt like it was all um, like compiling and building up. Um, and then at the end of that year, I just felt like I couldn't, I didn't love dance anymore. And I think I didn't feel like this is, you know, kind of deep, but I just didn't feel like I was good enough. And it felt, it felt, um, I don't know. It just felt super defeated the entire, in the entire year. I just, I mean, I loved the girls. I, you know, you have problems here and there, just little bicker fights, but nothing serious. I think they all are, were amazing people and are amazing people. And, um, the team is great, but it just wasn't for me. Like the environment just wasn't for me. And like you said, prepping you for something like the Dallas Cowboy cheerleaders, kind of, yes. But more than that, the dance team was ranked um, when I was on the team, second and third in the nation. So we also had a pressure to be the best and think think like that, you know, as far as dance goes. So it was a combination of being the best dancer you can possibly be, whereas the Dallas Cowboy Trailers are more performers, um, and also pro being a performer, and also having the image, and also representing the team. And then on top of that, I was in a sorority, which was a lot of, you know, in itself. And then obviously you have to do well in school. So it was just a lot to take on as an 18-year-old. I mean, looking back, I don't know how mm. I did it. But that's why I didn't want to do it my second year. I just I just personally didn't feel like I could love dance the same way again after that. Yeah, I mean, I didn't even think of the whole sorority aspect because I dealt with that too. Lexi and I were dif in different sororities and we experienced the same thing during recruitment. You know, you have to do your makeup a certain way. We all have to buy the same outfits. You need to get tan over summer. You need to start eating salads more. You need to start whitening your teeth. Like it was basically like come looking like Barbie or don't show up. And I remember being like, at first it was fun. Cause you're like, Ooh, yay. We get to do our hair and makeup and talk to all these girls. But then when it becomes something that is almost a requirement to look good, that's when I think people, especially like you're saying in that 18 to 22 year old age range, start developing really serious self body image issues, like self reflection mm -hmm. issues, poor self esteem. And I don't think I realized that until I graduated a few years later that I was actually in therapy talking to my therapist. And I was like, I didn't real. I had an amazing college experience. I had fun. I got good grades. I had uh, no regrets, but I didn't realize all the underlying issues that had developed from being in Greek life. And like you're saying, you had a whole extra layer from the dance team. So I really right. can't imagine how that was. It's funny because people now that I'm 29, I'm, you know, I don't even tell people I was in a sorority anymore. I just, I, I kind of forget that part of my life, but it also impacted so many things, you know, that led to so many other things. But I mean, I think 
for my case with um, being on the dance team and being in the sorority, I just knew I needed to choose one. It was just, it was a lot. And a lot of girls can do both or they're just not really involved in their sorority or they're just, you know, it's usually that they end up, you know, choosing the dance team full time. But um, for me, I knew that just wasn't the case. I wanted to enjoy my Saturday football games. I wanted to really relish in the whole college experience. And I felt if I was doing both, I wouldn't have that. So it kind of came down to that. And I just ended up, you know, finding dance to fulfill me in other ways afterwards. So that worked out. I was going to ask, yeah, I was going to ask, how did you end up getting your passion for dance back? It took a while, Charles. Like, honestly, I just, after that year, I mean, I can't even tell you. Like, it was really, it was just really soul crushing to uh, feel like I wasn't good enough, even though I knew I was. It was just, it was all in my head. And I think it all really stemmed back to my auditions and forgetting that two eight counts, which, you know, I'd never done in my entire life and my dance career. Um, but after that, I think you know, I found dance slowly again. I started teaching, which is what I kind of always wanted to do, being an education major at the time. Eventually I changed it because, you know, I changed everything. But I um, became a dance teacher at Dance Tallahassee. At, I did some stuff with Dance Fusion a little bit there. And then I did a lot in Thomasville Center of the Arts, which is where my old dance teacher moved. So I got to see her and kind of, you know, feel that love for dance again. And she's one of the people that really instilled my passion for dance. Um, she, Melissa is just an unbelievable person. So having that experience during college on top of you know, being a bar star tender at, at the strip um, was really what kind of got it back. It was slowly but surely. And you said at some point you were, did you join FSU with the hospitality major or you ended with that? And why was that? Why did you switch to that? So I started off as a hospital or as a um, education major and I switched to hospitality because I was dating, um, my college boyfriend at the time and his mom was a second or third grade teacher. I don't remember which. And I had long conversations with her about being a teacher and she just kind of talked me out of it. I think every teacher I encountered kind of talked me out of it at some point in my college career, just because of how it wasn't even about the kids. It was more about how difficult the parents are and how, you know, um, there really isn't a lot of room for creativity with, you know, FCAT and all these standardized testing. So I really thought about it long and hard and decided, all right, I love JLo from the wedding planner. So I'm going to be an event planner. I'm going to go into (laughs) hospitality. That's literally what made my decision. Um, and I switched to hospitality and, um, it worked out because after graduation, I got a paid internship and lived in Scotland for half a year. And I wouldn't have traded that for the world. Scotland was the best cleanse from FSU that I could have needed. It was probably one of my most favorite experiences I've ever been through. Yeah. Tell yeah. us about Scotland. Like, Why was it so refreshing to go there for half a year? I think so. My best friend, shout out to Jamie, Jamie Bardwell. Um, we both got selected to, um, 
participate in a paid internship. Mine was in Turnberry at the Turnberry Golf Resort in Ayrshire. And he was over at the first, uh, what was it called? The first course or something like that. And, um, uh, St. Andrews and the old course stuff. And, um, we had the opportunity to go over there and kind of really immerse ourselves in the culture and also work really hard. We worked 10 hour shifts and then we'd get two days off a week. And sometimes those days were, not together. So you would have one day off, work two days, and then have another day off. It You struck gold when you got two off in a row. But during that time, I really was able, we lived on, just side note, we lived on the property and we'd have to take a bus to go get our groceries. And it was kind of like a really good experience of like, here's your money. Here's where you have to go. You have to buy bus. You have to, um, bus fare. You have to buy your groceries. You have to think in advance. Whereas like in college, I just walked downstairs to my sorority house and had, you know, my meals there for me. Definitely super babied. Um, but it was also kind of sheltered and it was really safe where we were. So it was a good transition from being in this, you know, babied world to getting out into the real world, but still feeling safe. But more than that, it was um, such a cultural shock. I think the people were just so incredibly friendly. I mean, and I also started dating someone over there who really opened my eyes to really good books and movies. And I started to paint again. I started to not wear as much makeup. Do you remember how much heavy makeup we would wear in college? Like the oh my dark God. eyeshadow. Like a eye to class. Oh. <laughs> I look, I, I, know. I, well, specifically, I remember this one time when I was um, going to class with Jamie and I was wearing this low cut top and really short shorts. And um, he looks at me and he, he tells me to go back inside the sorority house and change because I still like looked like I was out the night before. It was just really funny. <laughs> but, but back to, back to what I was saying, um, I just felt the most me I had in the last four years. I think college is such a weird time for all of us. We are all trying to figure out like who we want to be and try to experience things for the first time and see how we like it, if we don't like it. And um, I never really felt super completely myself in college. I think everyone can probably think feel that way thinking like think about it like how much we were studying how much we were probably drinking how much we were you know going out it's just not normal so no. going to Scotland um just really put everything back into place for me and um made me you know more centered and more just me again which is big definitely <laughs> I think yeah. I relate to that a lot in Australia right now where like you said yeah. I feel like co college in a way is similar to corporate America where yes it's it's different on a, a level of responsibility, but college is like, Hey, here's your responsibilities. Here's what you have to do. Go do it. And there's 20 different masks that you're wearing. You have your sorority mask, your student mask, your boyfriend, girlfriend yeah. mask, like all these different masks. So that when you go abroad, you're kind of like, wow, I don't have to do any of that stuff at all. I don't even know anyone here. And in corporate America, it's very similar. Like here's the job. Here's what you need to wear here's the work environment that we have. You need to like follow these rules and then you just do that 40 hours a week. So your downtime is basically resting, eating and trying to entertain yourself. So to your point, you never really are your full self when you have mm -hmm. all these restrictions on you. Yeah. And I think if anyone were to tell you differently, they'd be lying. I mean, yeah, we all did things and said things that we probably would have never said or never had done in the real world or, um, just like, you know, outside of those 
you know, couple miles radius of Florida State, but it all had to be done so we could learn who we were. You know, it's just, mm-hmm. just that's just life. I'm curious when you were in Scotland, was dance in the back of your mind to be a career path? Or at this point, was it like, I'm just going to do that as a hobby and hopefully it will come back? Yeah, that's funny. You asked, I um, took a couple dance classes at the dance school where I was, where I was uh, working and it's a very small town where I lived. And so there was only one dance school and I remember taking it. And the second I walked into the studio, man, Chelsea, I felt like I was home. It felt so good because I hadn't taken in a while. And I mean, we, you know, been working hours and traveling. We did a lot of traveling while I was there, but going back to that studio just felt like home. And at that point, I still didn't really think of it as a career. It just felt like this is who I am and I love it so much. And, um, this is what makes me happy, but I just didn't look at it in a serious way. Um, I just, it, it was too hard. Like it was just, I was fo- there to work and I was there to make, you know, my school proud. I was there to make my parents proud. And I had to kind of live up to that expectation and not really think of anything else other than that. So not really. Well, you know, what's interesting and, and we can get into this later too, because I feel like we're both on certain paths now, but there was also something to be said about leaving the love and passion you have as that versus a career. And I, what I mean by that is a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know, say, Oh, if you love what you do, you'll never have to work a day in your life. But if you actually are starting your own business, there are 20 things that are not related to your love or passion that you have to deal with, like financing, operations, rent, uh, accounting, lawyers, like, all these different things that it's like, wait, that's not my passion. <laughs> like your passion was dance. Mine is definitely like podcasting and yoga. And now that I'm really trying to get things up and running, I'm like, God, I don't want to do any of this like back end business stuff. I just wanted to do podcasting. And it's interesting that sometimes your passion, you can get into it and want to do it as a career. But then you're like, wait, I want to leave this as my passion. I don't really want to like taint that love that I had for it. And I don't know if right. you can relate to that. No, absolutely. So when I was on the dance team, it felt like it was a job. Like I needed to show up. I needed to smile. I needed to do what I needed to do. And then I could leave and go and meet up with my friends afterwards. Like it always just felt like such a job. And I remember being in Scotland and talking to my then boyfriend and being, telling him, you know, what kind of happened and kind of telling him a little bit about my past and, you know, college and, you know, whatnot, just kind of getting to know each other. And I remember saying to him, I'm scared to go back to dance because I'm scared it's going to make me feel like it's work again. And I, I just feel like I did not want dance to be looked at that way. And I didn't want that feeling or that anxiety of not feeling like I'm doing enough or doing it right or being good enough to kind of cloud, you know, this love I have for it. So it, it took a while to kind of unravel that. Um, but now I look at it in a completely different way. But you're right. I think that a lot of people look at their passions and want to keep it. That's just a passion. That's a side project. And for years, and I'm telling you years, I did the same thing. But I never felt fulfilled. I always felt slightly empty. And I always, and it, it definitely carried into my jobs. I mean, I've done every type of job under the sun. And I still felt that way. I still felt that I wasn't really doing what I was meant to be doing. So it's just finding that healthy balance. I don't know if it's for everyone, but if you're like me and you're super passionate, like when you love something, you really love something. I mean, my, 
Allie, my best friend, she, you know her, she was my matron of honor at the wedding. She, in her maid of honor speech, put it so um, blankly. She said, Lexi, when she loves something, she loves it. She is the most passionate person I can, I know. And I, that like hit me because I, I totally didn't really think of myself that way. It's not until you hear it from someone else, but it's true. Um, so if you're like me, I feel like you can't do anything else but what you're passionate about. So it just kind of depends on your personality. So true. I'm curious what happened after Scotland. You said you were kind of doing the dance classes. You have this certain job that obviously was going to come to an end. What mm-hmm. did you end up doing after that? And where did you end up? So I moved home and I lived home for about a year. Like every graduate was trying to save some money to move to Chicago. I actually wanted to go back to Scotland, but it didn't work out. And I, you know, I really wanted, since I was a kid, to move to Chicago because my family is from the Midwest and my lot, I had a lot of family up there. So it felt like it was home there too. Um, just a lot colder, <laughs> but we, I ended up moving to Chicago and I got two job offers because the, the deal was that I couldn't go unless I had, you know, job offers, um, in place. And even though I was 18 and, or 21 at the time, 22, my mom was still making these rules, which was absurd to think about now, but I couldn't move until I had some job offers. One of them was Insight Global and the other one was Trunk Club. So I thought about it and I said, okay, Insight Global seems like more of a corporate route. It's a ladder I can climb. I can put my time in and eventually become an account manager, run my own accounts, you know, and make a lot of money and live in the city. I'm going to go that route. Whereas Trump Club was a more creative, fashion-oriented, super high sales job that didn't seem certain. I lasted four months at Insight Global. I used to cry in the bathroom. I was so miserable. I mean, I know a lot of people work for Insight Global. There's nothing wrong with that. But where I was in Chicago, being alone, because um, at the time, Kevin still lived in Florida. We were just starting to make friends with everyone. Um And I was going to work every day in the cold and going to this miserable job I hated. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. So I contacted Trunk Club and kind of told them that I made a, I made a mistake, kind of came back with, you know, my tail between my leg and asked them if there was still an opening. And luckily there was, and I switched over immediately and worked at Trunk Club for about a year and a half. And I absolutely loved Trunk Club. It just wasn't something I could do long-term. And I kind of knew that going in. Um, I actually recently heard that they've shut their doors permanently, which is really sad to think about. But I, oh my gosh, I made the wrong decision in the beginning and quickly fixed it and had the best time working there. I mean, it was hard, so hard, but it was really, really fun. And what was it about Trunk Club, do you think, that made it so much fun? Well, I met my best friend, one of my best friends um, there. Her name's Christina. Um, and I met a lot of other girls that were just really like-minded. I mean, you know me, but for people who don't know me, I'm obsessed with anything fashion-related. I spend my time, if I'm not looking at dance videos, I'm looking up new designer collections. I'm always you know, trying to read about newest trends and just staying ahead um, of that just because I find it to be art. It's a form of art for me, just like how I find cooking is and painting. So I... I 
thought this was the dream job. You know, I get to dress people for a living. I'm a personal stylist. Like the idea sounded too good to be true. And I was so proud to tell people that's where I worked, even though I'd get kind of like a funny look face, you know, from people. Oh, you basically lure men in and give them alcohol and you dress them. Okay. Like good for you. You're basically a glorified sales rep for, you know, Nordstrom. But I just loved it. I mean, it was there. It You never had the same day. Everything was different. There was a lot of flexibility in what we could do. Um, but there just really wasn't, it wasn't sustainable. You had to sell $40,000 worth of clothes in one month just to hit your baseline of commission. Do you know how many sweaters $40,000 is? It's insane. So once they, they brought in women's, um, from Nordstrom to the business model, that's when I was able to kind of take off because I loved women's and I actually became the woman ambassador for my team. So I would have to step into every single um, fitting that was a woman um, fitting and kind of like oversee it to make sure all the sizing was right and the women were feeling comfortable and, you know, but I loved, I loved that. I just felt like I could personally connect with them. And I looked at my clients as people and people that needed my services, not as a transaction. And I think that's what, why I liked it so much. But then in the end, it started to become a little bit mundane and, you know, repetitive with the selling and you felt like you were selling to your friends and, I just, I, I left, you know, and after that I, um, did the whole quit my job, bought a ticket, went to Europe thing, kind of like what you, you did Charles, but I didn't yep. stay there. I just went and surprised my friend, um, for a Europe trip. A lot of people thought I had left. Um, but no, I, uh, just went for a trip, came back, had no plan. I quit without a plan, which was like totally against what I've always been taught. Um, and my parents were extremely concerned and extremely pissed that I left for Europe without, you know, kind of consulting them or having a backup plan. But for some reason, I just knew it would all work out. And a week later, I ended up getting a bartending job in downtown um, Chicago and did that for a while, which introduced me to event planning, which is what I went to school for anyway. So it kind of came back full circle after some time um, doing Trunk Club uh, in Chicago. I actually want to talk about the whole support circle that you had for a second, because you just said yeah. your family was upset, and then you had a friend that you were visiting in Europe. So I feel like when you make these big decisions, especially I feel like you and I are close with our parents and we have relationships. Like you said, we want to consult them. We want their approval. We don't want them to be disappointed in us. And that can weigh really heavily if they are upset with you. So when you were coming to the end of Trunk Club, did you have a specific support circle that you were talking to about this? Or was this all in your mind that you're like, I don't know what to do. I might just quit. I might go to Europe. I don't really know. I would love to hear about the support system that you had or did not have. I didn't tell anyone. I don't think I even told Kevin who I was dating just at the time that I had quit my job. I think I told him on my way to the airport as I was going to Europe and he was really pissed off just because he was like, what are you going to do? You know, like with money and this and that. And I just, I think he wanted me to confide in him too. Uh, I didn't tell my parents and they weren't really happy about it, but um, so I didn't really confide. I mean, I think at that point, my parents knew I wasn't really happy because the structure of the company had changed so much and it wasn't in favor of the stylist anymore. And I think that they knew that and they wanted me to leave too. I think my dad thought I was too smart to be selling clothes, which I hate to say that 
because I didn't think that it was selling is definitely a strategy and it's a lot harder than people think. But my dad also went to Duke and is a physician and is extremely intelligent. He just thought I was selling clothes. So I think he secretly wanted me to quit. My mom just wanted me to have a job. Um, so when I, when I did do it, I think it took them a few weeks to really wrap their brains around, all right, she's not going to be doing this. She's going to be bartending for a little bit until she finds something else. All right, well, at least it's paying the bills, you know? Eventually right. they came to terms with it, but it's like, what can you do, you know? Like, I'm up there. They're not there to tell me what to do. Um, at that point, I was like 24, you know? I was definitely on my own, so... It worked and out. Also, yeah, and let's talk about the money you make bartending in a downtown Chicago bar. I imagine it wasn't pennies. No, oh my gosh. I think the most money I've ever made was bartending in Chicago. It was like wads of cash you were leaving with. Probably not the safest way to be walking around downtown Chicago, but I was making way more money than any of my friends, but I still felt this sense of like like I wasn't accomplished, that I was, you know, taking huge steps back in my life. And I used to feel really insecure to tell people that I was bartending, although I was making triple the amount that they were making at their nine to five jobs. It's just so interesting, the pressures we put on ourselves, especially in our early twenties to feel like we need to be something when we really don't, like it's all part of the journey. It's all part of figuring yourself out. I feel when you have yourself put when you have yourself together too young, it doesn't leave room for any creativity. It, it really prohibits you from exploring and keeping your mind open and, and experiencing new challenges that would not otherwise happen. So I feel like looking back, I'm glad I did it. I met so many friends through it and I met so many people just coming to the bar and had a lot of opportunities for interviews but I ended up staying at that bar and I kind of, um, I worked with one of the event planners there who really taught me the ropes. She was a great resource, um, to have, and she taught me everything. And then I ended up getting a full-time, uh, event planning position not too long afterwards and moving to a brand new, um, restaurant group that opened up and kind of starting from scratch there. And I learned again, so much about, you know, what I wanted to do and who I was and just the job itself. It was just such a learning curve. Um, but then once I got settled, lo and behold, I found out that we were moving to Florida. So like, it feels that I was there forever, but in the grand scheme of things, it really wasn't in Chicago that long. I mean, four and a half years with how many different jobs? I think at that point it was like four. So, um, you know, it felt like I had the world at my feet at that point, but I didn't know what was about to come once I had moved to Florida. It was just completely different. And Chelsea, you were there for all of it. So, you know, um, yeah, yeah. I, I like what you said about like figuring all that stuff early. Isn't it? It's a good thing in a way. Like you said, if you had your whole life planned at 22, the day you graduated college and you just stayed in that career until you're 65, until you can retire, it's like, what did you really learn about yourself and resilience and discipline and self-esteem yeah, totally. and, and confidence? Like you have to try on your, all these different hats and like, yeah, of course your parents just want stability and they don't want to see their baby, like, you know, struggling or not <laughs> figuring out their passion. Like my mom's even like, when I wanted to move abroad, I remember she kept kind of pushing back, like, well, why don't you just wait a little longer and wait a little longer? And I thought she was trying to stall me. And eventually I talked to her. I was like, what is going on with you wanting me to like wait so long? Like, you know, I love traveling. And she was like, honestly, I'm just worried about your financial stability. And that's when it clicked. Like 
parents want the best for you. They just want to make sure you're not like homeless on the streets or in jail. So I, I mean, finally understood her point of view. <laughs> but like, I mean, we're very fortunate that that would probably never happen. So to kind of, you know, put that, think about that. Like, you know, you have friends, you have a support system, you have family, you know, that would take you in before that would ever happen. And we're very, you know, fortunate for that. But yeah, I mean, it definitely is something you have to think about. And it happened to me over and over again with starting a new job. And I always had to be that new girl starting over, but I didn't realize at the time that I needed to be the new girl and needed to start over so many times to get to where I wanted to be. And good for you if you find out that you want to be a finance major and you end up going into finance right after school. Maybe you switch jobs one time to go to a better financial firm. That's great. If that's for you, then that's that's your journey. But I do feel not knowing is kind of a blessing and having the opportunity to not know and to kind of explore and to go to a different city like what we had and to meet new people and to have like these real struggles and this real pain, um, then you really have the opportunity to grow. It's like, you can't grow unless you've been through it. So I, even if you're the most confident person in the world, which I know so many people that pretend they are, I feel being vulnerable and opening up and, you know, allowing yourself to go through these hard times and to not know who you are is the best and healthiest way to, really get to where you're meant to be. You know, I, I don't want to come off on a tangent, but I, I'm very, very, um, sure that everything I've gone through has led to this point and I couldn't be more thankful for that. It's, it's taken a long time, but I'm so happy. And every day I'm waking up and I'm so happy and I hate to be I that person. That. It's like, I'm so happy, but like Chelsea, you know me, I, I, no, I, I be was happy. struggling last year. It was hard. Like, so like, just to put it in terms, like I, I worked for a company and it's a, a really great company here in Florida, an interior design firm that, um, is really well renowned. And I had a position that just was not for me. It just did not click. And I could not wrap my head around the idea of, of failing again. You know, even though I really had failed at my last job, I mean, there was reasons for moving, but I just didn't want to fail and to disappoint my family because my family was, is tied with the company in a little bit of a way and they know who we are. And it's a small, small town. Um, but I failed. I did. And I did not, I did not see it coming. And I kind of thought, you know, I could be that person to change that position and to change the company. But several people before me had failed. So it kind of wasn't really set up for success in that way. Um, but that's, and this happened last year, all while planning my wedding. So it was super stressful. Um, so many tears, so much anxiety, again, of feeling like I wasn't good enough. And finally, after some time, I just had to call it quits and was just, this isn't for me. You know, it's like, how much, how much can you really take after, you know, a year of doing something? It's, it, you just, unless it really brings you happiness and it sparks joy, it's not really meant for you. So I'm glad that happened. Yeah, and, a, and a year, like you said, is not, it's not two months. That's 40 hours a week for an entire year. And Americans get what, like 10 vacation days with a few holidays mixed in. So that's 365 oh. plus days of working at a job that you were not even excited to wake up and go into. Like I lived with you for the whole year and I can 
confidently say I can count on one or two hands how many times you were actually excited to like go work on a project. And that's mm-hmm. when I realized how much your work can affect your own mental health and self-esteem. Like I, I experienced that firsthand at my work too, where you start doubting if a client gets mad, then you're like, wow, am I the problem? Am I not qualified enough? Or if a client cancels a contract or refunds, you're like, wow, that I just like fucked that whole thing up because of what I said. And you start to just really doubt your own capabilities because your identity becomes work. Yeah, I think, and I never wanted to be that person that was identified by my work, but I feel like throughout my whole career, after graduation, I always identified myself with what I was doing. You know, if I was in fashion, I was the fashionista. If I was in event planning, I was the event planner. I really like put on this hat and really take on that full character. And I think like, I'm a method, I'm a, I'm a method actress, basically. Like I'm a method with, (laughs) (laughs) with, um, with what jobs I have. And I feel I couldn't do it. Like it, none of it felt authentic. And I realized quickly last year that I just don't like sales anymore. And once I left that job and it was good, it was, I mean, we left on good terms, all is fine. But once I left, I started looking at, you know, new opportunities. And this was like right before my wedding. So I started looking right after the wedding because I wanted some downtime to really enjoy, enjoy the whole, you know, process. But I started looking on, you know, Zillow and all those different platforms and looking for sales jobs. And and for about, you know, two or three weeks, I was getting all these calls and, you know, getting all these interviews and, but nothing felt really right. And I talked to Kevin and I, who is now my husband and, you know, just kind of told him how I was feeling and telling him what opportunities were reaching out and what interviews I had. And he looked at me and he just goes, Lex, like, why do you keep applying to these sales jobs? Like, these are not you. I, I just feel like you should really think about this, take this time and really think about what it is that you love and what it is that you'll be excited to go to. And my parents even said the same thing. But the idea of pursuing dance full time really just still felt, at, it still felt kind of like a side dream. I remember even before I left my previous company that I was on my bachelorette and I remember talking to my friends about it and probably not soberly talking to them about it, but um, saying how much I miss dance and how much I miss performing and how much I miss being like a teacher. And they all kept saying, let's go back to dance, go back. But a part of me just felt like, you know, I'll just keep it as a hobby and I won't really pursue it full time. And the second I decided to really drop that stigma of this is who I am with my job, this, this stigma of, okay, if I'm, you know, an accountant, I'm an accountant, like that's who I am, uh, you know, or, you know, event plan or whatever. I, I'm obviously not an accountant. I'm not good with numbers, but, um, once I decided to really, you know, allow myself to just be me and not feel like I was trying to put on this hat is when I really started to feel like I was being myself. And it, it took so much time. And I didn't, I wish I had gone to a therapist throughout this process, but I just kind of did it my, you know, used the resources I had myself and a lot of friends, a lot of phone calls with my mom. But, um, I finally let go of, you know, feeling like I had to make a ton of money to be successful. You know, I was always told that if you love what you do and you, and you do it every day, the money will come, you know? And that was another thing that I had to really wrap my head around going from a really good, you know, sales job where you feel like you're doing really well and, you know, you're climbing to like becoming a dance teacher 
is just so different. Like it's like, so, I mean, Chelsea, you know, you were doing really well at your job and then, and then you went, um, and became a yoga instructor and you, you know, work at an ice cream shop, which is awesome by the way. Um, it's just like, you have to mentally wrap your mind around. I am not going to earn as much as I was and be okay with that. Like, are you truly okay with it? And, I was not for a longest time because we all know I love my shoes. I love my bags. I love that. I love all that fashion. But it was at the at the end of the day, it was just stuff. Like I could always get more stuff. That's the biggest learning lesson is like letting go of the miss the the judgments that other people put on you. Because like you said, if it's not a traditional career, if it's not going to make you six figures, people are like, then why are you doing it? I'm confused. Why isn't that your side hobby? Why don't you just do that? on the weekends. And it's like, because I'm not happy. Like this is my life. Six figures in the bank is not going to make me happy if I have to do that every single week. You know what I mean? It's like, why would I work that hard at a job to make that much money where I'm just going to continually have to go to work and be miserable. So the only time I get to enjoy my money is on my one or two week vacation once a year. Like that just didn't sound fun to me. And I'm assuming for you too. Well, yeah, no, and to, and to your point, you were saying how other people and other people's opinions and how, like, what they thought. And I do think there was some, you know, judgment from other people, especially when I told my friends that I was quitting, like, two weeks before my big wedding. But I think the pr- the idea and the pressure really came from myself more than other people. I don't think people care as much as we think they do. And so true. Like, I, I don't really care about, you know, friends from college or friends from, you know, like, you know, acquaintances from, you know, there and here, what they think. I more care about, like, my really close-knit family and friends think. And I always thought they thought this way. And, you know, it's just the circle from hell, like, wrapping around in your brain over and over and over again. But I, you know after some time, I just realized that this is all just going on in my own head and who freaking cares? Like who cares if I want to do, you know, what I want to do. And I found out actually everyone is so much happier than I thought they would be. I think, you know, we just have to mentally allow ourselves to go for it and to really, to really, um, allow ourselves to, you know, be creative and to push ourselves to be uncomfortable as you put it, I think earlier, but a lot of people just aren't, aren't, I hate to say it, but just aren't brave enough for it. I just don't feel like they'll ever succeed. And that's a shame. So if you're out there and you have a passion that you feel like you could turn into your career, I say go for it. Like you only live one time and (laughs) it's not, everything goes by way too fast. And if you're unhappy, you're never stuck. I know so many people that feel stuck and I've had this conversation so many times, but there's so much out there other than what, you know, what you think you have. A hundred percent. Yeah. Like I always said that to my mom. Oh, people are going to think I'm crazy. People are going to think this is stupid. People are going to say this and that. And the other thing, my mom finally was like, who are these people? Like, I want you to name one to three people because you're obviously thinking about someone specific. And when I really drilled down to it, I was like, Oh yeah. Like I'm thinking of my one ex. I'm thinking of my one coworker. I'm thinking of that one person's mom. Like, you know what I mean? I was like, Oh yeah, those are the people. And what I'm going to deter my whole life dream of being fulfilled because three specific people were judging it. Like it sounds crazy to say out loud, but it really is what hindered me for so long from making that leap. And it sounds like we were both wrong in that assumption. Like a lot of people are happy for you. Yeah, no. And so once I started telling people, everyone's like, 
well, it's about damn time. I mean, that was yeah. kind of like the response I got. And I felt, okay, you know, maybe I should have done this earlier. And, you know, right before my wedding to my, and you know, this, my grandma, who is the most special person in my life, she, my grandma and I were super close. She was close with all of us. She pretty much raised my mom or raised all of us with my mom um, and my dad, of course, but she is just such a, a amazing person in my life. And when she passed right before my wedding, she told me literally two days before she passed for me to go back to dance. She had always said it, but she said it like right before she passed, she said, go back to teaching. That's what you love. And that's who you are. Like, like staring me in the eyes, telling me this, like as if, you know, I was going to do it. And I was just like, okay, thanks grandma. You know, I appreciate it. Not knowing she was, you know, not going to be able to tell me that ever again. But I think after, you know, she was gone and really, you know, after the high of the wedding was over, I was sitting in my house, looking at all the paintings that she, you know, had left behind and I hung them up on all in my house and was just felt like her presence was still there. And I looked at them and said, you know what, grandma, you were right. You were right this whole time. And like thinking about it, it's still just going to, I'm extremely emotional. I'm going to cry, but, um, I know, I know it was so hard, but she would be so proud of me right now for pursuing what I wanted and going after what I, you know, really love in life and feeling confident about and feeling full and feeling just like Lexi again, you know, like I'm not, yeah. Like, I, it just, it took a long time to get to this point, like I said, and it, and I think that everyone's journey is different to really finally realize that some people find it out young. Some people find it out in their forties and have midlife crisis. Um, you know, maybe I will again have a crisis and try to figure myself out. But I think that's what's so beautiful about life is that we're always ever evolving. You know, we're always changing and allowing yourself to open up and to feel those changes is what's, you know, it's what's important. It's life. That's what makes it beautiful, right? A hundred percent. I feel like that the conversation with your grandma was almost the universe being like, this is the most clear sign I could give you is like the person that means so much to you that yeah. ha- that knows you so well inside and out delivered that message. Like, I don't think that was a coincidence. I think that was like a clear sign, like, please do this. So, okay. So here's another story too. So I, she told me this and I knew this and I know that she was my biggest fan and still is my biggest fan. Um, cause I still feel she's with me, um, all the time. But when I started applying for these sales positions, I, um, you know, the ones that I felt I, that would be more of a fit ended up not working out because of, you know, when they needed someone to start or um, they were looking, maybe they were looking for someone with a little more experience here, or maybe I, they didn't really match up to my, what I was looking for either. So nothing was really clicking. The second I found out the studio down the street was looking for a new teacher, I got a call and had an interview and everything just felt like it was supposed to, it was lining up so easily and so perfect. Once I got in, they put me on the schedule and then she asked me to become the studio manager. So not only am I teaching, I'm helping her. I haven't started yet because of this whole pandemic right now, but this summer I'm going to be training with her and helping to run the studio. So I'm gaining all this business experience on the back end and learning how I can actually run a studio and I'm getting to teach kids at the same time. It just feels like a win-win. And then who knows, like maybe in a few years, I'll want to open up my own studio and I'll, you know, be sure to hang a picture of my grandma so that she knows she, and she's there the whole time. But I just feel like the Love limits and the, and the, and the possibilities are endless. And now I feel like I can 
you know, do whatever I want and, and feel happy about it. And man, it just, it just feels good. Like I you're like feel truly bad. living in alignment. <laughs> no, you're like, ah. this is to me. I love hearing people this passionate because to me, this shows exactly what the meaning of living in alignment means. Like you're excited right. to wake up. You said you're so happy every day. Like you probably have a smile on your face of course there's shit days. Like, of course there's days oh, where yeah. I don't want to do my podcast and I, I'm like, Oh, why did I do this? This sucks. But for the majority, you're like, this is my purpose. Like I am doing what I was meant to do. I've also been inspired by people like you, Chelsea, that kind of took that leap of faith before I did and mm-hmm. had the courage to, you know, move abroad and to, you know, say goodbye to this amazing job that you had been at for like five or six years. And, you know, become a yoga instructor and decide to work in a ice cream shop for a little bit or, you know, decide to stay and really pursue this journey. I think I was so inspired by your journey and by, by so many others. I know people that have picked that have picked what they are truly passionate about and have stuck with it. And they have just always been true to themselves. And I was always a little bit jealous and envious of people like that and realized that, you know, it's pointless to be jealous or envious of someone at all. So I, you know, figured out quickly that I just needed to do it myself. So, I mean, kudos to you and kudos to all the people that have been in your position and have done this. I think it's truly an inspiration and probably one of the you know reasons why I decided to do this um, when I did. So, I mean, I was kind of forced into it, not forced, but I just needed to make that change. I didn't realize it would happen so soon and before such big life events. But after I did it, I didn't look back. And now I wake up and I'm like, oh, wow, I don't have that anxiety or that feeling of like, you know, I'm missing out. Have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and been like, it's not FOMO because FOMO is like when you fear of missing out of fun stuff. It's more like FOMO of life where you feel you feel like you're not connecting and not doing anything that feels yeah. meaningful. Yeah. Like I, I can't tell you how many times I've woken up in the middle of the night with like anxiety and been like, am I wasting my time? Am I wasting all these precious young years of, you know, having this ability to, you know, dance? Yeah. It takes so much to put aside your ego. That was the biggest thing is my ego did not Mm want to give up my six figures. My ego did not want to give up the title. I did not want to do half the jobs that I did in Sydney, but I was like, okay, well, what are you going to do in Sydney if you don't have jobs? Like you need to pay the bills. And that for me was a means to an end. Like I wasn't going to Sydney to be the manager of a gelato shop or to do social media marketing for like all the crazy jobs I had. That wasn't my path. That was like, this is just supporting me so that I can actually focus on what I want to to really do. And it sounds like we both how to just like drop our egos and let go of that. And now we are happier than ever. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. I want to move into rapid fire questions. So these are going to be quick questions that you answer with the first thing that comes to your mind. Oh gosh. Okay. You ready? <laughs> yeah. What's your horoscope? I'm a Pisces. What are you reading right now? I'm actually reading, uh, the midnight in the garden of good and evil. It's a, it's a murder story based in Savannah, and that's where we got married, and I wanted to read it. Ooh. I know. What it's is, creepy. A, what's a wellness ritual that you can't live without right now? My skincare routine. What is your skincare routine? So I used to sell Rodin Fields like on the side just because I really love the product. I don't do it anymore. I just kind of became – I decided once I left sales, I wanted to leave sales altogether. So I um, 
still use the products though. Um, but I love it. So if you ever need any help with, with skincare and with Rodin Field specifically, you can ask me, but I'll have to point you in another direction of where to order it from. Perfect. What workouts <laughs> do you do? I do a lot of, uh, yoga. Orange theory is really what got me in shape for the wedding. Um, I've been running outside a lot, which I typically do not do, but because we can't go anywhere right now, it's really, you know, the best I can do. Um, and I do a lot of like bar workouts, um, at home, like ballet based bar workouts. Love that. What is your favorite brand right now? And it can be anything like health, skin, food, anything. Um, I don't know. I'm not really like a brand snob with food. What about clothes? You love, you have a lot of clothing brands <laughs> that you love. <laughs> I know. I love, um, I don't know. I don't have a favorite brand. No favorite brand. Okay. If you could mm -hmm. only pack three things with you to go on a trip, what's coming with you? Where are we going? Hmm. It would be a surprise <laughs> trip. So you don't know. Uh, okay. All right. Sunscreen, um, a jacket and my phone. Ooh. So you prepared for both climates. That's the first time I've heard someone yeah. prepare for two different climates. I mean, you got to prepare and you can yeah. still get sun damage in high altitudes when it's cold. So look at you coming so needed. prepared. <laughs> what is something people don't know about you that you wish they knew about you? So I actually have a neurological disorder called Malday debarkment syndrome. Um, so I have, I can, I feel like I'm constantly on a boat, like I'm rocking and I get, I can't ride boats at all anymore. Um, I see a neurologist, a couple times a year and I take medication and that's really prohibited me from dancing professionally. So it, it's actually prohibited me from a lot of things in, with um, dancing or, um, you know, just in life, but I've been able to kind of overcome it in certain ways with a lot of um, medication and a, a lot of, you know, exercises that can, that can kind of help, but it definitely, it's definitely a big challenge, but everyone has their own cross to bear, you know, Oh, and I've seen, I was with you when some of those vertigo episodes happen and I cannot believe that is something that just like can't be fixed. It sucks that it just can't like go away. Well, there's a lot of research being done up in Minnesota. There's this doctor up there who I'm hoping to go see soon um, after all this is over and she's doing some really groundbreaking things with magnet energy and um, like different medications and combining it. So I'm hoping to get up there sooner than later because once I start dancing full time, I really can't just be like, Hey kids, hold on. Let me go have an episode and, you know, be right back. Whereas right. like at work, I could just like go home and lay down and then get back up. But so it is something I'm going to have to, you know, tackle on as soon as, um, you know, things pick up. What is something people get wrong about you? That I'm more high maintenance that I, than I am. I think that, like with social media and just the fact that I really love to get dressed up. Like I love to wear heels and get ready and go out. Doesn't mean I'm, I'm high maintenance. I think some people like to make that claim. Um, but I love camping. I love being outside. I actually, you know me, like when I'm at home, the first thing I do is put on pajamas. Um, I, I don't know. I feel like I'm less maintenance than Kevin is. So <laughs> I definitely feel like people get that wrong. So no, I'm a lot more down to earth than, you know, what it looks like maybe from social media, I guess. 
Yeah, I lived with you and I can attest to that. Like, it's not like if we were going to do something, you took four hours to get ready. It was, that happened only one time where I did see you and Kevin fight about how long it was taking you to get ready. But other than that, that was the only time out of the whole year. And it's just because it was like the first outing in quite a while. So we all have those moments where we take a little longer, but I, yeah. I agree. You are not high maintenance. What is your so favorite funny. resource to go to when you feel like you're out of alignment? Yoga. And I think you could attest to this too, because you're a yoga instructor. But when I feel off, like body wise, mind wise, spirit wise, once I get on the mat and I just start practicing, I feel so good. Like it just feels and I'm breathing again. I After every yoga um, class, I always feel a lot better, especially at um, the studio here in Winter Park that I love. And also I've become a lot more um, close to God in the last year, just recentering my life and being more grateful with grat and expressing gratitude for all I have. Um, so I have a little Bible app on my phone that's allowed me to, you know, read a passage here and there, especially at night, um, when I'm feeling the most anxious, I think that really kind of sets my alignment, just trusting that things will work out. I love that. What about the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? So it's not really advice. It's more of like a little saying that my grandma always used to used to tell us. Um, it's and it's kind of funny. She always would say, "Everything tastes better at the beach," and like when we were kids, she would we would go and get you know um, like junk food and bring it to the beach or pizza and um, really specifically KFC and we would eat fried chicken on the beach and it's just always really fun. But when you really think about it, everything always tastes better where you feel at home. So everything if you really even put it, think about it, everything is better when you are home and when you feel you're at home. So for me, that couldn't be more true with dance and with all the changes I've made recently. So thanks grandma. Love Love you. (laughs) What about any last words or final thoughts? That if you love something and you're passionate about it, you should go out and, and do it and you'll never be happy asking yourself what if. So I decided that. that. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Not. It's like, not what if it's more like what, what's the thing it is. There's a phrase I heard. What stop thinking of what if, and start thinking of what is like, what is your life? Like stop thinking, what if this happens? What if this happens? What if I can't do that? It's like, no, what if you do do that and you do succeed? Like, why don't you flip it the opposite way? Exactly. Exactly. And I think that sometimes you have to take a step backwards to move forward And that's okay. Allowing yourself to feel, to do that and to know that you're investing into something greater is truly amazing. So taking a step back, even if you have to bartend while you're pursuing your career, like your actual dream project, you may be surprised and you may be making triple the amount of money all your friends are making, or, you know, you may find out that you love something else along the way. It's all part of the journey and all part of about experiencing the new things. Um, Amen. Yes, what about amen. if people want to find you and ask you questions? Cause I'm sure there are going to be people listening that want to pick your brain more. Can they get in contact with you in any way? Okay. So my Instagram is at underscore Alexandra stone. So it's just one word underscore Alexandra stone. Um, I'm pretty, I'm pretty much set to private, but if you send me a message, I'll read it and I'll be able to respond. Love it. Thank you so much, Lexi. This has been so valuable. And I already know you're going to get DMs because people are going to want to know way more about you and your story. Well, thanks for having me, Chelsea. We've talked about this for years, having me on the pod, but uh, I'm glad that we were able to make it happen. 
here we are. Life comes full circle. It does. <laughs> I really hope you guys were inspired by that conversation or at least learned how important mindset really is. Lexi and I got so into the different shifts that we both had to go through, but I really think it's important that you take note how much inner work is required to make a leap of faith. If you have any passion projects, I feel like now is the time to really work on them. Maybe it's time to just figure out what the vision is, maybe make monthly goals, figure out the steps that you want to take. I think this really is a time to use wisely. Speaking of passion projects, some of mine are Yoga Girl Next Door. That is my yoga brand and company where I'm doing online classes, which are now turning into workshops, different company virtual wellness programs, and online classes. So if you're interested in that, go check it out at Yoga Girl Next Door. And of course, if you found value with the podcast, please leave a review. Those really help with visibility and credibility. And you can always reach out to hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com, visit the website in my nonexpertopinion.com or follow us at nonexpertopinionpod or Chelsea Ray. With that, I will see you next week.